given we have already tried repeatedly to work with you in a manner that is legal and ethical, and you refuse to do so by means of further harassment, discrimination, covert deception, dishonesty, and manipulation. We have no choice but to now report you to authorities. The federal authorities are well known to pay state employees big bucks to whitewash liabilities. And there are liabilities out there such as us, whose human rights have been grievously violated. And when that happens, and the feds and the state are responsible, no responsibility or accountability is taken. Instead, we were sought out and attempted to be made as opposed to receiving any justice. And we will not stand for any less than justice at this juncture, having lost our abilities to have any work or ability to have any credibility or voice for the past 10 years. My life was soiled and I lost everything, me speaking specifically, yet we here as we stand for the people. We have lost so much collectively more. This has gone on too long. The government gets away with everything. Blue covers blue. The state covers you if you're blue. And if you're a fed, well, they think they can get away with everything. But you know what, boys and girls, you can't. Because there's a Department of Justice, Attorney Generals, DAs, and such things open accountability to the federal government because I have a case in regards to their attempt on my life in 2015 after attempting to falsely incarcerate me in 2014. This was directly said before three witnesses including a public defender by a judge only for the charge to be slapped back on this has gone on too long, not just for me, but for far too many, many of whom are still behind bars and will be for the rest of their lives, having not committed a crime or the crime that they were said to have committed, only because the feds can't be bothered to admit that they were wrong, that they got the IP address wrong, that they were wrong in their assumptions, and as in my case, they came at me without a federal warrant, without any evidence, and without a judge's signature, thinking I was on governmental assistance. I was not. All my rights were violated. Many people's rights are violated in effect of their fuck-ups. So they will now be made public at us. Because we will stand up, we will fight back, we will start naming names. And that starts today.
Hi, Julie. This is Sergeant Jeff Ardini from the New Hampshire State Police Professional Standards Unit returning your call from yesterday uh, regarding a crash report. If you get the message, please give me a call back at 603-223-8579. Again, that number is 223-8579. Thank you. some random thoughts just like the fact that Biden's pissing transgender people into the military and the only reason he's doing that is to get rid of them hey you can call me judgmental or opinionated or whatever but during all this crisis the last thing someone like Biden is gonna have on his like priority agenda is the priority list would be putting transgender people in the war he knows trans transgender people are going to want to prove himself and he knows they're going to be devoured alive so for him to do that is ultimately sadistic then there's the whole firing the uh, surgeon general or surgeon general right before the vaccine came out where he has this agenda where we're going to get everyone vaccinated blah 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 well do we ever question why he fired the man that was a, in head of this vaccine and oversaw this whole process for years and years? Probably because the guy was saying maybe it wasn't a good idea to give out mass vaccinations. And, you know, the other thing is the number one people get the COVID virus is by standing in lines. So people are going to be standing in lines to get the vaccination, or a lot of people will, and that's how they're going to get it, and then they'll get the vaccination. But it doesn't protect you from COVID after you get COVID, standing in line waiting for the vaccination. So just a few thoughts on that, because if you think on the logic, logic behind each and every one of those decisions standing in line that's how you get the most COVID that's what they're gonna have people do now that's Biden's agenda you know call me crazy whatever I, I just you know then there's the whole transgender in the army where the fuck did he pull that where did, did he just pull that out of his ass like did you just throw it like okay you know where was that on the bill you know it, it, he's such a he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'll tell you. I said it 10 years ago, and I'll say it again. They they subdued the masses with this narcissistic goddamn kid who we didn't have to worry about because he was harmless, and he was just like a baby in a crib going, I want this, I, I want my woman, I want... You know, harmless, you know. And then we have this, you know, guy who's like, oh, good, thank God we don't have to worry. You know, he's in control. Well, he has this empathy and this kind of way about him that's seemingly charismatic. Um, if you look closely, 
it's more like the devil. Just saying. This is my first podcast, so please bear with me. My name is Julie Asmussen. The purpose of this primary podcast is to document the sequence of events over the last five years, which I have not yet done, so that it can easily be made sense of by people who have not been through it and have not um, immersed themselves in the uh, legalities of it and retain the paperwork to go over and everything that I've done in order to get to the spot that I'm at now, um, which is, uh, free and, uh, alive and, um, still, still around. That was not expected. Um, everything, uh, that happened in the last five years was to ensure my, uh, incarceration, um, and on July 17th of this year, there was a, a major uh, deadly car accident that was uh, deliberate and uh, fabricated thereafter. Um, and in any case, uh, I'll start with saying that uh, after seven malicious prosecutions in the last four years, I have a clean New Hampshire state record because they deleted it because from each I walked, um, given they were all false and the judges caught the fabrications and perjury and whatnot. Uh, And uh, so anyway, I walked from each and it didn't look good. So they erased it and I retained all the original reports, which is a real big problem for them because it means they exist and uh, they erased them. They also fabricated the report um, stating the other guy who nearly flipped my car at 95 miles an hour by rear-ending me was uh, had no contributing action and it had no write-up and no photographs but uh, easily that will be proof uh, be proven fabricated by many means the ER report the doctor's report the four witnesses on scene that they didn't take statements from neither did they take one from me um, also I was never asked for a statement over the the uh, years of the prosecutions from false arrests, but um, starting from the beginning, it was uh, essentially my um, desire to become more aware of what was rather than what could be perceived and sensed solely you know, as we know in America and have been conditioned to know as reality and the only reality there is. I uh, became very interested in these uh, derivatives uh, that were legal that would help me um, in, you know, session-like type style, uh, you know, kind of get rid of some ghosts, uh, traumatic experiences that we're still holding on after about 13 years, um, I, and um, I, I have this uh, theory that I've I've made up. It's called the imprint theory, and basically, 
what that means. And again, this is just my my theory. If uh, such things as MDMA, which was which was proven in the 1970s Harvard uh, uh, study study trials to be uh, 80% um, effective. Uh, the rate of efficacy was 80% versus 33% with uh, controlled use of MDMA in eight sessions versus two years without the use of the MDMA. And again, uh, the rate of PS- PTSD went down 80% in those who had controlled sessions with the MDMA versus the ones who did not. Um, it is a substance that uh, is very beneficial, does have some toxicity components, but um, the variants I was looked at were essentially plant-derived and were actually neuroprotective and whatnot. But my problem was I had no money. I was on a very limited budget at the time. I hadn't begun working. I had to complete an internship before getting my master's level uh, addiction counseling license. I'd already uh, passed the advanced counseling exam. It was just about getting to ready to start that internship and um, I had been exploring some of these analogs which um, they had uh, suspected something else and I was wrongly suspected of uh, a form of domestic terrorism and uh, the agent who had been outside my home on 2 Elm Street, New Market, New Hampshire watching my place uh, government plates uh, for about two weeks former to uh, my psychiatrist with my fiance as a witness, cutting me off of uh, 16 milligrams of Subutex, which is uh, by law uh, considered in the UK and the US an inhumane withdrawal. Four days into it, which is the peak, and I mean it is inhumane because it's regarded as torturous, uh, they had eight police officers come to my door uh, alleging they were there to quote unquote help me. And I was uh, cuffed, arms and legs and chains, and um, escorted by them to uh, an interrogation unit that was not one of the two designated locations for mental health evaluations. Um, I was an interrogation location and uh, back, I believe, in the back of Exeter Hospital. Uh, the police also were confused as to what the accusations were, and they, they had seen me around, and they just couldn't believe that I would be someone associated with that and I wasn't and repeatedly they just asked me the same question over and over and over and over again agent after agent after agent after agent for 48 hours and it was what are you on and I would just list out all my prescriptions over and over and over and the withdrawal was just getting so bad I mean it's just it was basically was getting as bad as heroin withdrawal I mean I was on it for four years so I was basically in a heroin withdrawal like state and they kept trying to offer me Ativan which I would refuse because I'm horrified of benzos because the last time I came off of them at 32 I had a heart attack four months in so I kept an eye on that which you know I, I was it just the withdrawal is just unmanageable but that's what they wanted me to appear Um, And he had to um, make me appear that way. And this was the way that it was done. I obtained his report and it was premeditated between him and the agent that I be cut off. And um, he made up a story about me 
being under the table and on tables and doing all sorts of crazy things that I've never done. And I have a witness there that says that I just basically stepped back from his aggression and him saying, I can't prescribe for someone in your state and then going and directly calling the police. At which point, so did we. And the EMTs said, I'm sorry, we can't bring her in. And he just was so adamant that they bring me in. And they said, there's nothing wrong with her. We can't. So in the meantime, he called all the local ERs, which is also documented, and told them um, not to help us, that we were drug-seeking. So we were denied help at the local ERs. And one of the doctors actually said to Doug at the Exeter ER, I'm sorry, I want to help, but my hands are tied. So he had called each of them, and that's documented. And he called my parents. And then when they came to sign the commitment form because of what he had told them, um, I, uh, he, he, uh, he himself refused to sign the form. And uh, basically after I was... Uh, clean um, from the toxicology report and uh, there was no evidence found at my place after I'd been transported to New Hampshire State Hospital from Exeter and my withdrawal was getting increasingly worse. New Hampshire State said, well, if no evidence has been found, then I guess we're not conspiring. We're not aiding an illegal investigation were conspiring with an illegal one. And at that point, they released me with, and I have the paper, with a reason for admission being severe subject text withdrawal and a discharge of absolute. And directly prior to my release, there was an order um, from some unknown source for a third transfer. And this is after New Hampshire State declared me perfectly fine and well and having been telling the truth and that I was in severe subutex withdrawal. And Doug had had Walgreens uh, fax over the proof that I had been on it because the psychiatrist lied and said I wasn't because he wanted to ensure I was made to look as crazy as possible when I was in this tortured state. So they gave me the medication, saw that I normalized, I began to sleep. And right when they were going to release me, a third transfer was ordered. And every single false arrest, a false transfer was ordered. I was always brought in the back door. Uh, Usually no prints or photographs were taken so that it would be alleged that I was not even there. And then I would be uh, transferred somewhere. And it probably would have been where I was transferred or would have been transferred had a doctor folks not put a stop to it, saying that I did not... um, it, it was not in alliance with the IEA, uh, you know, um, statutes uh, that I be transferred because it was obviously medication related and had nothing to do with mental health. So um, New Hampshire State dropped the $30,000 bill on the spot and told me, well-meaningly, this one nurse, don't look back, don't ask questions, just move forward. Because she knew what was going on at that point. She knew what they had released me from. And once they found out that new evidence was found, they didn't want to be conspiring. So they did the right thing, dropped the bill. I wasn't transferred. And if I had been transferred again, God knows where. And had I not made the posts uh, public uh, throughout this whole process, I would I would be in jail today as I speak. Um... 
I will continue uh, this uh, this podcast. I will call it um, uh, tomorrow, and uh, go on from here as to what happened after I was released from the hospital. It gets much worse, um, and uh, it goes on. And uh, anyway, uh, things are looking up, and I've got major advocacy on, you know, from the professionals and the commissioner, uh, the Department of Justice, um, and there are a lot of people who are aware, so they can't get away with what they were, and likely I'll be placed under protection again, so um, that's a good thing, because we very much like our home here, and I really don't want to have to relocate. So anyway, I will continue tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. So I thought I would start out with something current and non-related to me personally, and that would be the current coronavirus epidemic. Um, anything that the uh, U.S. news and media makes and calls an epidemic creates the epidemic. It breeds fear. It breeds uh, overconsumption. For example, uh, millions more Warren stores buying millions more dollars worth of billions more dollars in, in total worth of uh, you know more groceries and s- such. Government knows that if we buy more, we consume more. So uh, off just a week alone of this so-called crisis, whether any stores closes or not, government's going to make trillions off the extra food consumption as well as any kind of medicinal emergencies or medical crises or you know things that fear breeds such as what the heroin epidemic did you know we create a antidote that allows heroin addicts to you know use more indiscriminately and then this can bring them back from the dead well we say it's precautionary but in fact, if you're a heroin addict, uh, so-called you're addicted and psychological issue, it's uh, going to give you more of a rationalization to use and not have to have fear over overdose, overdine, or you know what I'm saying, overdosing or overdine, because you will have a remedy right there and a friend available to just bring you right back. Um, so actually, that is in part what created the epidemic and more on overdoses on an epidemic scale was creating this Narcan because prior to Narcan we were not having all these ODs so how do you explain having an anecdote to these overdoses and yet having a drastic increase in overdoses exactly you can't because it's kind of epidemic is it's such created by forces that may be um, and I won't get all into conspiracy, but uh, my main point is is that you watch the news, you just get sucked into the media, you're going to get sucked into fear, you're going to do exactly what they want you to do and what you've been conditioned to do. You're going to go out, you're going to buy, you're going to consume more, you're going to be out faster than you would, and uh, that's just in regards to food consumption. We're not talking about other, other crises that are going to crop up due to this. Um, And who knows how big it's going to get. And the bigger it gets, the more money the government makes. That's true with any crisis. 
And so it goes. So right now, government could do with a lot of extra bucks. And we got to ask ourselves, why? What are they preparing for? Why do they need all this extra money? And if they didn't, why are they creating epidemics out of something that is not yet an epidemic in this country? So why do we end up like we do? No one starts out. Again, we're not going to use that term. I'm going to say, I'm not a bitch. You know what I am? I'm an outlier. I'm a rebel with a cause. I'm stubborn. I'm strong-willed. I won't allow you to step on me without consequence because I would never do that to you. What I wouldn't do to you, if you do that to me, that's when you'll find out how smart I am. And that's where a lot of people have messed up with me and then turned around and called me a bitch. See, what happens is I'm in my own little world and I don't go out of my way to try to impress other people. So they make their assumptions and they make their judgments. And right now is a perfect time for them to do that, you see, because uh, of my circumstances situation. Oh, God, if there was ever a time to be judged and defamed, it would be now. It would be now. I am set up for it. So uh, I know there's no term in America for uh, envy being a bitch, but there is in every other country. It's called Schadefreude in Germany, and there's a word for it. Japan, China, and a lot of other countries as well. But not in America. Because in America, the land of the free, the land of the, of the brave. We don't acknowledge emotions that we aren't comfortable with or that we don't think are socially appropriate because we are so brave. No, instead we deny them. And when something horrible happens to that friend of ours that we've always envied, we say, oh my God, oh no. And we really mean it. We really feel horrible in that compassion, right? Right? Because we're good people. So, I mean, if something happens to someone that you've always looked up to and you've always envied and, and in a way you've really always wanted what they had and let's say they've lost it all and they, they just totally like, they just, just everything just went upside down on them and, you know, I mean, oh, God, wouldn't you just be devastated for them and that's all you'd feel? Because as a compassionate human being, I mean, geez, in America, you'd only have to feel that to be a, to be decent. 
right? Fuck that shit. The reality is we're human beings and there's a lot of gray in between the emotions that Americans have designated appropriate. And some of the gray is ugly. And the gray is oftentimes being really quite... Hmm. Content, gleeful. I don't know the word. Smug of someone else's demise that you've always envied. And that's just the truth. If it wasn't, there wouldn't be a word for it in every other country. So anyway, what we don't admit, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And that's the thing. What we don't admit, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We don't admit so many things that have happened in this country that the prosecution has withheld evidence that that would have exonerated so many people from death row deliberately, only to see them killed. That's premeditated murder. No, we don't talk about that. We, We don't, we don't. Because that's in the gray. So we just pretend it doesn't happen instead. Because we are the land of the free. Home of the brave. Yeah, right. Fuck that. The only ones that are the free and the brave are the outliers. The ones that don't follow the rules. The ones that aren't within the appropriations of society. And actually understand and claim their own humanity. And realize there's humanity in others that's gray and might not be socially, quote unquote, appropriate all the times. And if they can uh, accept that social inappropriateness in themselves, so-called inappropriateness, then they can in others. But if they can't, then all they'll want to see in others is a perfect facade. And if they don't see that, well, guess what? The devaluation starts. So if you're not perfect looking on the outside in America, you will be devalued. If you don't put up that perfect front, people will look at you and they will judge. They will compare and they will feel superior. In America, the land of the home, the free, the brave. Fuck that. We are all in straight jackets. Unless you realize you are and you break out of it. But to break out of it means you're going to face a lot of contention. You're going to face a lot of prejudice. You're going to face a lot of injustice. You're going to face a lot of slaps in the face. And I faced all of them. None of them deliberately. They all came to me through an unwarranted federal investigation for a form of suspected domestic terrorism that I had no association with whatsoever. It was all by chance that an upper-class white woman would be charged was such a crime. And of the 26,000 home invasions in 2011, I was one of them.
honestly wonder if it would be better if I drafted this and then when it was more cohesive I put together then went ahead and published it um so I'm kind of in between I know there's no perfect um and uh but my point here is to tell my story without you know it dragging on from start to finish you know that's why I'm interspersing it with what I am theories and philosophies and you know old recordings that I found because that's the only way I can stay somewhat out of the emotional trauma of it so that I can be objective when I am talking about it because I heard it's not funny but I heard a recording I tried to make I did like seven sessions and they were each like 20 minute sessions and on session two I'm like breaking down I know I was in my uh my fiance's in in my apartment uh in in Durham at the time and I was telling telling what was happening on second episode I'm breaking crying you can't even understand what the fuck I'm saying and I was embarrassed just listening to it and it's not fun I mean it's you know I think it's good that you know, but, you know, as I, you know, that's not going to be helpful for, for you or me to, to tell you this story, sobbing. <laughs> so anyway, doing what I can. And we've only just begun. There is, there are just so many layers to this. I mean, you know, truth really is and can be far stranger than fiction. I mean, but again, I'm not going to waste my time saying what's not true. And honestly, I, my dream come true is for everybody to know what truly happened and everybody to know who I really am. Because the fact of the matter is, I've only been known based on false assumptions and, and judgments and I haven't been able to form connections here because I haven't been able to work because of the record. And then the defamation was my fiance because he was so angry with me because I had to walk away from, I mean, just... Yeah, not to get excuse and blame, you know, I've done what I can in trying to form connections, but when you have a record that disallows any volunteer or anybody from even coming near you, if they do become interested in your person, that's gonna fuck you for life, and you you, you know, and me not having been in a place physically, or, uh, you know, because of my disabilities, I, I, to be able to have a chance to become you know, who I was and am, and and that's when I'm outside of myself, that is when I'm helping others, that is not when I'm stuck in my shit, and the only place I've been allowed to be stuck is in my shit, and that's because of the head injury, that's because of epilepsy, that's because of the trauma, that's because of more trauma, that's because of just a bunch of shit that, you know, wasn't what it was before all this happened in uh, 2011 September 2011 September 23rd 2011 and I had a really bad feeling the week before you know my thought the week before it all began literally if there is a God then there's no way I could go ahead and be this selfish and not have any consequences and when I said that I'm such a conscientious person. When I said that to myself, I meant just kind of floating out on ego in life, just like everybody else fucking does, but not really being attuned with myself and my emotions like I was prior to, you know, certain traumas. 
I wasn't, you know, I didn't know how authentic I was being to my life and myself. And so I felt that that was being selfish to not be here for any other reason than my own purposes. Like my faith, you know, had dissipated. And uh, that's what I mean by selfish is I was operating on self, you know. Anyway, um, all right. I can't even remember where I started with this, but I will go ahead and throw it in. Thanks. Hi, Julie. This is Sergeant Jeff Ardini from the New Hampshire State Police Professional Standards Unit returning your call from yesterday uh, regarding a crash report. If you get the message, please give me a call back at 603-223-8579. Again, that number is 223-8579. Thank you. my, you know, protestation of this. She really wanted me to use it. You know, anyway, 
Uh, I found her like lurking around in my apartment. I'm like, Terry, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I, well, the back door was open and you said you had Polar recently. So I'm like, well, I just said I was going to get groceries and come right back. So anyway, fact of the matter is she kind of left this computer with me. I didn't fucking touch it. All right. I have a brain injury, so when I'm familiar with something, like I am with the iPad, I don't switch it up, so I wasn't switching it up. So, she kind of takes it back, and she seems a little disappointed, like, hmm. Next thing I know, Bob comes in my life, kind of pushes himself on me, and I have heart issues. I have issues where I actually have to go to the hospital, I have tardicardia and bradycardia, and they, you know, I always have to sign a waiver if I don't go, because I hate going, because they always urge me to go, um... But fact of the matter is, um, or when I don't want to get treated, um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, yeah, so then I was Bob, and, you know, then I called him 1130 night just to say I was scared about my heart issue, you know, I wasn't expecting anything, I was just saying, you know, I, this is a concern of mine right now, and he goes, but well, do you want me to come over? And because of my fear and my, and my complete exhaustion, like, I was willing to have this man that I really did not know very well in my home just to make sure that I could fall asleep without anything bad happening to me, like my dying before I did, or my dying as I did, or whatever, because I was that scared, and I was that exhausted, so he came over, and he started talking about something, and I just kind of looked at him irritated, and looked away, and just, just put my head back, and fell asleep, and I took, you know, I held his hand, or whatever, compensatory, you know, I'm like, I'm not good. You know, this is all you're getting, man. You're, you're here to help me sleep. Like, this, I did not agree to anything. So, two hours later, I see him standing over me. He's like, Julie, you, you okay? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'm going to get going. I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm like, thank you so much for coming. Honestly, I was grateful. Well, you know, I have this old busted computer. The only reason I move is to vacuum every week. And I moved it after he had been there. And the only other person that had been there in the last week or two had been this just one other person who I would know would never do that. And all of a sudden, I pick it up and smooth it, and it's gone. My old busted computer that he doesn't know does or doesn't work is gone. And I haven't taken it out of the freaking case because there was no reason to. Why? Because this thing's been blown out for two years. I don't even know if I can get it remedied. And if I do, it's a $3,000 computer. It would be like $500 I don't have right now. So, I honestly... It's missing... And what am I going to say? Like, I lost it? Well, no, because I didn't take it out of the case to lose. So, is it a coincidence that someone tried to push a computer on me, and then directly thereafter, my other computer that he may or may not think is still working is stolen? No. And how is the most found out about you is your web search history? Oh, what do you know? And then all of a sudden, boom, they're out of my life. They disappear. They're gone. And gone even from the meetings which I met them, right? So, you know, and then there was another one, Tyler, who asked for a prescription that I have, um, and that I've been on for many, many years, um, for, uh, reasons, uh, that are not typical, and he had an issue, and he asked for one, and said he would pay money, I said, that Tyler, I'm, I really want to help, that's not something I can risk right now, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, after that, I heard nothing. And this guy had come over, blah, 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 called me, initiated the whole thing, dropped his number in my lap after a second meeting, said he had a crush on me. I was just kind of like flattered, just kind of humored by the thing, you know, I was 
taking up some time, so I was like, alright, you know, don't, you know, it, it's like, you know, alright, why can't just, like, spend some time with the guy, whatever, why not, um, so it was harmless, and, um, you know, nothing came anything other than the friendship, and every once in a while kind of cuddling, but that was it, and, and then, you know, after he asked for that, and I denied that, boom, gone, and then there was some antagonization, I said some things, and then I apologized thereafter, and I'm sure if it was for defamation reasons, he went about and showed what I wrote, I'm sure that, uh, Bob said that I slept with him, because Erica thereafter actually asked if I slept with him, I was so offended by that, the last person I slept with was my fiancé of nine years, before that, the last man I had slept with was when I was freaking 23, alright, so, the last guy I slept with was with my fiancé, and that was over a year ago, so, shut the fuck up and get the fuck over it, that's not me, if anyone's trying to make that out as me, fuck them up the ass, and I mean that, seriously, because that is offensive, with everything I've already been through, all the defamation, all the criminalization, all of that just getting it home for the right reasons, for just reasons, because I called the New Hampshire Attorney General, Department of Justice, reported the truth that I would have been arrested on severe felony perjury charges had they not checked out. I am not gonna have my name fucking the fucking face again by these ass wipes trying to get off whatever charges they have or get money from the feds who paid state employees big buttons to whitewash people like me who are incidentally huge liabilities but we won't go into that i just wanted to make it very clear why and how there might be things said about me that are false thank you Again, this was written in 2011. I wrote, When an authoritarian position was carried out in a manner proving it in thought a license for the sure reverence of others, I remained unmoved by the presumptive superiority, quietly obstinate in the face of their conscious choice to aggrandize their character by way of another's automatic compliance, an act carried out not as consequence of some powerful attribute to the authoritarian character, but direct consequence of the position itself and of our conditioning. While most people in positions of authority that I encountered throughout my childhood were able to separate their own self from that of their authoritarian position, there seemed a small minority and most significantly recently, who attributed the immediate scuffling of those quick to accommodate their demands to a charisma all their own. It was this gloating self-satisfaction arising at the moment of compliance I was bothered by, this quality of grandeur and reasoning for it out of sync with my inherent sense of equality and humility." 
I often met these subtle injustices with a devious resistance, replacing the desired response with a silent scrutiny, a half-hearted gaze, seemingly doubtful in nature. The most notable feedback of my skepticism was increased was increased insistence on the beforehand request or demand, incest, incensed irritation, or when my resistance unintentionally, unintentionally illuminated quite clearly their own discomfiture, outright anger, though their reason for their rage they attributed to my existence instead and truth instead of their own. On rare occasion, my inquisitive stare was met with a radically different response, its fundamental underpinning an altogether separate plane of consciousness, in between conscious regard and unconscious impulse. When my eyes were met with the reflection of this divinity, a flash of recognition and mutual comprehension and not easily articulated flashed between us, such rare acknowledgement of my own of my actual intent and further the existence of such higher aptitude lit me from within a great relief watching washing over me as though some fun, fundamental need left unmet was finally satiated leaving me free just to be this should murmurment of the in-between conscious thought and vivid Awareness allowed for an intimacy rendered disabled by the egoist nature of human thought. This divine energy manifested a startling flash of vigorous insight when reflected, a flash of world, of a world untethered to need and desire, showing us both how beautiful all that we could, all that we could be, all that we could not know was, and how all we did know mattered so little. In comparison, in it, a brief glimpse of beautiful surrender was offered a certainty that no one walked alone, declared. Uh, Julie asked us again, I, I, I just got to, you know, break uh, protocol here for a second. I, um, I got this note uh, from my next guest, uh, which was so nice it was uh like after we did our last show i mean she uh she blew it uh, out of the park she did a, a home run and um she, she wrote me a, a letter and uh, it was just so nice to hear uh, you know what a a, a compassionate person this uh, julie asmus is uh, she said some really nice things and uh when, she, when i get her up in a second i'm gonna thank her for that but uh for you who didn't hear the the last show uh, Julia came on and was just completely honest about some things in her life and uh, was quite inspiring. Um, she is a healer, right? And um, she uh, she's a therapist. Uh, her story is just incredible. And rather than me explain it to you, I should probably just get her up. Uh, okay, let me do that. Mr. Producer, let me get her up. Uh, guys, with no further ado, it's uh, my pleasure and uh, my privilege to bring back to the show Miss Julie Asmus. Julie, how are you today? Casey, I'm all right. Thank you. And you don't have to thank me because I, I wasn't being compassionate at all. I was just telling you exactly how I felt. Well, I mean, it was so sweet okay. to read that. I mean, it was just really nice for you to take the time to, to write that to me. Thank you for that. 
Well, thank you. It was the truth. It was the truth. Well, I mean, uh, from someone who, uh, who, you know, does healing, um, I, I, I guess I should expect that, right? Well, you know, it's so cathartic, you know, just for anyone to, to be able to be heard if they felt like they weren't, you know, heard before. And and through this forum, you know, it just kind of feels like I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking individually to somebody who's in, in and of himself, I feel, is very therapeutic and himself a healer, uh, let alone the aftermath and the realization that that's gotten out to, you know, maybe people that didn't know what the truth has been or was and have made assumptions and uh, I've got the backlash to that so it's, it's kind of a relief you know and, and it's very healing I think the mind-body connection is very strong and I've been holding on to a lot of things and uh, this has allowed me to feel safer it really has well I mean it's, it's a great point is some people uh, don't uh, feel that their story is being um uh, is, is, is being heard, but and they don't know how interesting it is and how much it's going to help other people to hear someone who's gone through the same stuff in yeah, different ways, in different ways. <laughs> well, this is true, you know, whether it be someone, I mean, there's so many people who have stories that they don't want to talk about because they don't think anyone else has gone through them or they don't think they're going to be believed. I mean, there's so many instances in which that's the truth. And, you know, in my particular one, you know, I, I know that the ones that, aren't heard of the ones that were caught, you know, and, uh, and, and, and the nets and the entrapment net and, uh, you know, kind of, they're not going to be, they're not going to be heard. They're not going to be believed. And I mean, if we look back even in the sixties and the seventies, you know, the prosecution deliberately withholding, you know, evidence they knew would exonerate the, the African American they were sending to death row, you know, in my mind, that's, that's premeditated murder, and that was that was what was happening all the time back then. This has been an ongoing thing, you know. If they need to catch someone, they need to catch someone for the crime, and if they feel they've got someone and they're wrong, and they've got a lot of uh, resources invested in that, and they have come at that person in a way that's going to be a backlash at them if they're wrong. Mm. Accountability is not taken. <laughs> oh, you know that—that's very true. I mean, do you know what that Tuskegee experiment was? Have you ever heard of that? Um, no. Well, that, that was—I think—I think we're probably talking about the same thing. It was around the same time where uh, the, the the government uh, actually infected uh, African American people with—I uh, believe it was syphilis. Uh, this was maybe in the 50s, 40s, or something like that. I mean, I'm not making this up. This isn't a conspiracy. This actually Oh, happened. I believe you. No, so. no, I believe you. Kind of like, uh, you know, the crack cocaine so-called epidemic where the, you know, they can't, the, the African-Americans, what is, you know, they're impoverished. Did they go get a plane and, and go over to the places that had the, 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 you know, the cocaine and bring it back? No, the war veterans were instructed to, to bring it back and they drop it over these, african-american neighborhoods having done you know experiments on on rats previous and well knowing what the outcome was going to be and and then just at that point the government cracking down on you know crack cocaine and declaring the war on drugs and then going after the exact people they had dumped this you know this substance upon you know knowing it was good you know and again you know you say this isn't a conspiracy theory this is for real it's so hard to, to prove that in hindsight you know and 
Yeah, I know, and I think, Julie, I think what we're, we're talking about to, to the audience here is, you know, there are there are things uh, that we we just don't know, and uh, all we can talk about is from our, our personal experience. So what I'd like to do before we take uh, our first break is I would like, uh, if you don't mind, for people who didn't hear our last show, maybe you can refresh people on what we uh, what we, we talked about last time about your story and a little bit about you uh because coming from you, uh, it's different than uh, from an outsider like myself. So, uh, if you don't mind, refresh people if you can. Well, uh, in synopsis of what you know, we went over last time. Basically, I uh, it was come at uh, you know uh, by the uh, feds and the state, and the reason that the, the federal government was involved was because they had suspected me of a form of domestic terrorism, which. You know, the government was really amping down on or cracking down on after, uh, the, you know, uh, 2001, 9-11, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand why they suspected I was doing what they suspected I was doing, but I had nothing to do with their suspicion. Or, you know, I wasn't doing that. So nonetheless, I was taken into custody. Uh, you know, they did their whole spiel. I was held. Uh, for um, well, a, a long time, right? With just by yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Just, I'm just sorry, by yourself. You you were you were held just uh, just uh, you were alone, right? I mean, they put you in a room for like. Well, no. Well, that that was the false incarceration. That okay. was the false incarceration in 2014. Oh. Okay. This they yeah they actually they didn't have a warrant, so they had to get. Uh, I'll just say other people involved to. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for it. saying that. Yeah, because you know we have to be yeah. careful. Thank you. Yes, uh, to, 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 uh, to get a, uh, uh, I can't remember, a peace request in order for, for me to be committed because they couldn't arrest me because uh, they didn't have anything to arrest me with or by. So that is how they got me um, committed. Um, and my then fiance at the time came to Concord State Hospital every single day. And he also had Rite Aid facts, the fact that I had been on a certain medication that the federal government told uh, New Hampshire state government I wasn't on, so I would go further and further into a withdrawal that is labeled inhumane in the UK and the US, and they don't even allow in prison. Mm-hmm. And they were gonna allow me to go into this withdrawal that I'd been on this medication about six years. Um, yeah, people don't know what, that, had, what that's like. I mean, that, that's that's something real serious. I mean, that, that can... Uh, I mean, there's some things that uh, will will kill you if, if uh, you know, you're, you're, it's in your body and you just, just all of a sudden they, they take you off it. That's correct. That's correct. You can really do a number on your on your system. Yes. And this is just at the, at the very beginning. And like, let's say that happened now. I don't I don't know if my body would have withstood it. But what happened in this instance is my fiance had right age facts, uh, you know, over and over the fact that I had been on this medication. And even then the nurses were kind of right down the line because they they knew they'd been lied to by the feds, but they started distributing my medication. They gave me one fourth of the dose and they saw that I, I in fact, you know, felt better. And then they gave me the full dose and they recognized that's exactly why I felt and was as sick as I was. Um, and I was just going to get sicker. I mean, they really weren't. I mean, it was it was going to be, oh, my God. So they rele- they ended up releasing me. And the nurse, that, that the best advice I got was in the very beginning of this whole 11 years. And it was, don't look back. Do not ask questions. 
and just move forward. And, you know, I, I wish I would have or could have, but when you have something like that happen and you don't know why you're taken like that and you don't know and it's so traumatic, the, the natural tendency is to ask questions. You want to know why. And so anyway, subsequent to that, I was in a, um accident three weeks thereafter. And uh, I was disabled by that because I didn't get the treatment. The uh, report was falsified. And, okay. and Julie, on, on that, I want you to stay right there. I want the audience to, to hang on your last word right there because we got to take a short break. We'll come back and then we'll find out um, uh, what happened. Uh, my, my guest is Julie Asmus, uh, an incredible story here. Just uh, hang on one sec. Julie, can you hang with me for a second? Yes, absolutely. Okay, guys, we're going to take a short break. Be right back. The next step to following your dreams is closer than you think. KDMA and the Actors Studio is an established, reputable talent management and services agency based on the East Coast. Actors, models, singers, voiceover artists, and live entertainers trust their careers with KDMA. Not only does KDMA advise and market talent, they provide talent with the necessary tools to be successful in today's demanding entertainment industry, offering in-house classes, coaching, photo and video services, real and audio production, showcases, seminars, and more. KDMA makes talent development and advancement simple and affordable. For more information about talent representation and services at KDMA and the Actor Studio, visit KDMA and the Actorstudio.com. That's KDMA and the Actorstudio.com. Let KDMA take your career to the next level. Aloha to all you lovebirds out there. Are you thinking about a destination wedding? Let I Do Hawaiian Weddings help you realize that dream. We specialize in Hawaiian destination weddings. Our unique knowledge of the islands and vast experience with amazing locations will help us create the destination wedding of your dreams. We can help you celebrate your love for each other with a sandy beach wedding, flower lay and bouquet, photography and videography, limousine transportation, hula dancing, ukulele music, and a beautiful dove release. We can even assist you with marriage license and online paperwork. I Do Hawaiian Weddings is all about love. So visit us on the web at IDoHawaiianWeddings.com or call us at 808-330-5555 to realize your dream destination wedding in Hawaii now. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. All right, thank you, Mr. Producer. I appreciate that. Uh, bring me back in. Guys, uh, I'm speaking with Julie Asmus. Uh, she has uh, an amazing story, and from what I can ascertain, is um, uh, this healer and this therapist is getting people to think about what isn't said and uh, what is said uh, by her story. Uh, let me welcome her back to the, to the program. Julie, welcome back. Thank you, Casey. It's good to be back. So uh, when we left off, uh, you were, you were, you were uh, talking uh, about uh, what was about to happen because they gave you a fourth of the medication or something like that. Uh, can you take us back? Yeah. Uh, well, they ended up giving me the full dose, and I ended up being released because they realized that was the issue that they had been lied to and that I shouldn't be in there. 
Um, I they gave me they subsequently sent me a bill for thirty two thousand dollars or something like what? that. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. God. I called them and I said I am not paying this. I w- I shouldn't have even been in there, and they just let it go. They just. <laughs> didn't even try to get them. Hey, hey uh, so, Julie, was that an issue of betrayal, you think? In some senses, yeah. By the person that said uh, that, you know, they talked to the pharmacy or whatever? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the, the federal authorities who, who said that I hadn't been on any medication when they, yes, uh, you know, brought me there. Yeah, they knew that it would, it would, they knew I was sane and they didn't want me to look sane and they knew that it would make me you know, physically ill and, and, you know, eventually psychologically not acting very sane. Yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. Why did they pick but, you, you so. think? Why did, why did they single you out? What did you do? You know, what, what did uh, they think? They thought you did something, I guess. Yeah, well, it was because the feds were involved, I realized, after the fact, uh, because they had uh, suspected me of a form of domestic terror. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, 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 I remember that. Okay. It sounds, and it sounds more serious but, it, but it turns out it wasn't hey let me i don't mean to cut you up but i got a phone call that somebody wants to talk to you so uh let me oh, let me go to the phones uh hey you're on the air with julie asmus what's your name hi my name is tina hey tina uh you got julie you got a question for her oh uh, well, yes julie hi how you doing um hey, I've, been, <laughs> I've been listening and you are so strong with everything you've been through and i want to be just like you how did you get through it that's a good question i kind of feel the same way well, I don't know if you want to just agree, but you know, I think you know when people ask how I got through it, I think when when as, as long as people are alive, they pick themselves up and they keep going. I mean, you, I got through it because you just you get through it. If you can, if you can do it, you do it. You know what I mean? And and it just was a matter of just yeah, I had to kind of keep looking into what was going on how it was going on i kept getting the original reports after every single incident so anything that was redacted or falsified you know after the fact you know i'd have the original uh, to come back at them with or to say i had um i i uh made things public on social media so in cases of uh false arrest uh let alone the 11 day one i uh, could tell them you know look uh Two days ago, I just posted on social media, that's two weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. So if something does happen tonight, bringing me in the back door, and it's not, you know, it, you know, and I so-called disappear or whatnot, it will be brought back upon you, and then that would change their mind. So it was just like little um, things that here and there that uh, I thought of, or God's grace, or or whatnot that, that got me through or is, is helping me get through. It's very nice of you to say what you said. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you well, call her. I, I, think, um, I, I think what we, we agree on is like when someone is faced with so much, uh, it looks like it's too much on someone's plate. How do you, how do you get through that? You know, I, I uh, uh, that's that's uh, what I I guess I wanted to know too. I mean, it's a story about ins- this is an inspirational story. It's just, she's still talking to us. So thank you for your call, caller. Uh, thank you, uh, Julie. So, um, uh, what can you tell what can you tell people about? Uh, they may feel like you did, like they have uh, too much coming down on them, and you know like the caller just said that you got through it what do you say to people that may be feeling the same way you did that we all are 
99.9% molecularly the same. We all have the same deep wants and feelings. And I mean, with the exception of the so-called psychopath. Mm-hmm. You don't feel anything, right? Well, I, you know, they don't have the same level of empathy or ability for compassion. Got yeah, it. they do feel em- empty, I guess, is what, what is so-called said. Uh, they, <sighs> I'm sorry, what was the original question? The question was like, people right now who are listening in their car or, you know, at the office, whatever, you know, and they, they feel their life uh, is there's too much coming down on them. There's too much on their plate. Yeah. What do you say to them to, to, to give them uh, the... Uh, encouragement to fight through it like you did everything does pass everything does pass and you know happiness is not a permanent state sadness is not a permanent state grief there's no permanent state of feeling and when we're happy you know that's that's going to change and when we're feeling completely overwhelmed and shattered and broken that's going to change and that might actually be a really good opportunity to to just know things can only get better and also maybe see what it is about the situation that you could do that could help the situation or you did that incorporated into making it the situation that it is uh, or if you feel like a, a victim to it irregardless uh it it could be an opportunity you know um and also know that a lot of people are feeling the way that you are that in america you know outsides do not match the insides you know the way that we put ourselves out in the world i just real quick i encountered someone who was uh from from greece and uh she she said to me she said you know i just don't understand in this country she goes is everybody really this happy i mean she really was confused. She goes, you know, I go to a store and she goes, are they really this happy? She goes, wow. it makes me feel even worse. I go, no. I said, you know, people in this country are conditioned to put on the happy face. And if they're in a business, that's, that's how they're trained to be. But no, they're not that happy. Good point. You know? Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Wow, Julie, I, I, I don't mean to cut you, but what... Um I mean, what a, again, uh, another honest, um, you know, if you could say it black and white, uh, I think you've done that. <laughs> uh, oh, it's pretty cool. Uh, Julie, uh, we're, we're out of time here, but uh, let's continue this uh, uh, next time. Uh, I appreciate it. A lot of, actually, you know, you're, you're moving people. It was a caller that was inspired by you. So uh, anything you want to say before we go? No, I'm just really honored to be on the show, and it's just incredibly cathartic and helpful for me, so thank you. Well, obviously, uh, you're doing it to other people, too, because, uh, uh, you know, people are inspired by your story and your mental toughness. So, hey, guys, Julie Asmus, everybody. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network.